Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that's the basis for our sermon today is the gospel lesson that was read from Matthew chapter 4 just a few moments ago. So, I'm really, I really loved your children's message because I've been thinking all about how do we react to temptation, and the first thing that came to mind for me, and you probably know this if you've ever sat in Bible study with me, is food. How do we react when we walk into the break room at work or maybe into the kitchen and there's that cupcake there, that half a donut on the counter, and you know you're not supposed to eat it. Maybe the doctor said your A1C's up a little bit. Or maybe mom and dad just said, don't eat that cupcake. But nobody's looking. What do you do? Or maybe you walk by that storefront and you look in and you see that item, whatever it is that you've really been wanting. It's great sale, the price is awesome, but you know that it's not in the budget for the month. What do you do? Do you buy it? As we reflect on temptation in our lives, I think it's fair to say that we don't react all that well to temptation much of the time, even if it's just in our own minds. And temptation is central in our readings today in Genesis and in Matthew. And so I thought that we would take a walk through this temptation account with Jesus and then reflect on Old Testament Israel and then on our own lives and see what God has to say to us today. When I read this, sometimes I wish that we started just a few verses earlier. You see, before there were chapter and verse divisions, we would have read right from the baptism account of Jesus into this. As he was there at the Jordan River with John the Baptist in that water, and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and God the Father speaks these words, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And as he emerges from the Jordan, right there at the edge of the wilderness, the very next verse... The next words in Matthew's gospel, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Through the waters of the Jordan, baptized not for repentance, not for remission of his sins, but taking on the sins of all mankind, of all creation there, emerging in the wilderness on the other side, stepping in there to be tempted by Satan. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, I can't even imagine the hunger that he would have felt at that point in time. Satan approaches him and asks him a question that is very curious because the devil knows exactly who Jesus is. But words that we should remember, if you are the Son of God. And he follows this up by saying, command these stones to become bread. And rather than turning inward on himself, rather than using his powers to serve his own good and becoming a self-serving God, Christ Jesus responds with the words, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Not today, Satan. And so he carries him up to the pinnacle of the temple, to this high point, and challenges him to cast himself off there. Surely, surely God will command his angels concerning you, and he'll stop you before you hit the pavement below. 
And Jesus, being a true God, also knows that the power of God is sufficient, that he can absolutely do anything. In fact, his word spoke everything that is into existence. But he doesn't test his Father in heaven. He doesn't doubt the provision that God the Father has for him. And so he once again responds, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Two strikes, Satan. And so he comes at him again one more time, bringing him up and showing him all of these kingdoms of the world, all of them, and saying, just worship me and I'll give all of these to you which I always find interesting since Jesus is God and everything belongs to him anyways. But he doesn't. He faithfully submits to the will of the Father, worshiping his Father in heaven alone, not turning to the right, not turning to the left, steadfast. In all of these accounts, as all of these encounters Christ Jesus responds beautifully and perfectly, never once stumbling, never once falling, never once tripping. And when we look at that, we see some similarities in the walk of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament as well as in our own lives, though I think we'll find that the result is much different. Think about the nation of Israel. God had built them into a people, and there they were enslaved in Egypt, and they cry out to him. And he sends a deliverer. Moses comes. And as they stand on the edge of the Red Sea, looking back at this army of Egyptians bearing down on them, certain death coming from behind, God parts the seas, and they pass through the waters from certain death to life in him in the wilderness the waters swallowing up every last member of the Pharaoh's army. This glorious event, this miracle that God worked on their behalf takes place in Exodus chapter 14, brothers and sisters in Christ. The very next chapter, Exodus 15, we find Moses singing this song of praise to God. But it doesn't take long. How quickly We forget the goodness of God. In Exodus chapter 16, they're already unhappy. (laughs) They're hungry. They turn inwardly on themselves and they grumble against Moses and Aaron, which is against God, and they say these things to them. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. How quickly they forgot that just two chapters before, a sea had been parted to deliver them from certain death. And it continues on, Exodus chapter 17, they get thirsty. And rather than trusting in God's provision, they put him to the test. And once again, in their grumbling unfaithfulness to him, he provides them water from a rock there in the wilderness. And if we continue on through their journey, we can just take any number of passages from throughout the Old Testament where they turn from worshiping him to whether it's a golden calf or one of the bales or any other false god out there. 
continually and continually they turned from him and worshiped other things, all these idols in their lives. And just so that we don't get too high on our own horses as we look at Old Testament Israel and say, man, they just didn't get it. I mean, they didn't get it. They failed miserably. We do the same. We, we enter in to this family of God through the waters of a holy baptism. Many of you may have been baptized in this very font over here. As you enter into those waters and the pastor says, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You are rescued from sin, death, and the devil, marked as a forgiven child of God for all time. Nothing can take that from you. But even as we step to the other side of the baptismal waters, we set foot into a wilderness of this world that is still struggling with the effects of sin and death and the devil. Just think about that little baby. As adorable and cute as they are, they are completely turned inward on themselves. Every cry telling us that they're hungry, they're tired, that their diaper needs to be changed. Miss a meal or nap time and it's going to be a long day or a longer night. And that doesn't really change as we grow up. Whether we're in school or at work and that group project comes along, and maybe we didn't put as much effort in as we should, but the praises come down. We think of ourselves and we don't turn aside. We just let the praise come on, or when it goes just a little bit wrong, maybe we shift the blame over to that other classmate or, or coworker. We test God, too. Doing all of those things, we push him to the back corners of our mind. We don't think about him on a daily basis. And then when things start to really go sideways, we say, God, why are you doing this to me? And we bargain, God, if, you know, if you'll just do this, well, then I'll do that. All of these other things that come into the forefront of our mind become idols. And rather than faithfully submitting to and worshiping God, we worship them. We're pretty lousy at resisting temptation. In fact, we fail time and time again. So what does all this come together and mean? We've, we've heard that throughout the Old Testament that Israel was chronically unfaithful to God that continually they were self-serving and so many times instead of going to him to seek his will in their lives, they just looked to what they thought was best. And each time finding with that inward turn only pain and sorrow. Each time that they turned, themsel turned to themselves instead of worshiping God to other things, those things so quickly lost their luster in their lives. And throughout our lives, we find this true. Repeatedly, we seek our own interests, our own desires, rather than what God's will is for us in our lives. And then we do. We wonder why he's not with us. Well, he actually is. We just wonder why he's not there when things come apart. We ask for signs. We bargain with him. Each of these things being made into that idol in our heart, giving them that highest place of honor in our lives. And when they crumble, because they all do, 
we cycle back to the beginning and we start all over. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the result of all of these things is death. Nothing else. When we pursue all of these sinful desires of our hearts, death is the only thing that lies at the end. But in Christ, in him, the reality is completely different. Where Israel, where we fail continually, he did not. He was not a self-serving God, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Even in his extreme hunger, he didn't use his power for his own good. He didn't put his Father in heaven to the test. Even though he knew that that power of God could accomplish anything, he faithfully submitted to the Father, casting off Satan, telling him to be gone. All the way to the end, to that point at which he hung on the cross dying, taking the sins of the whole world, of all creation, yours, mine, everyone, on his shoulders. The familiar statement was made by a passerby that echoed the taunts of the devil in Matthew chapter 4. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. Faithful unto death even death on a cross so that you and I, despite our constant, continual infidelity to him, could be engrafted into his family so that we could be co-heirs of eternal life with him in a restored creation. As we think about this account from Matthew chapter 4, Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is not about your ability to withstand temptation. It's about what Christ did for us, taking our place. And so this Lent, for the remainder of these 40 days until Easter, ponder your own unworthiness. Ponder your infidelity to God, but never, ever forget to ponder his worthiness, his fidelity to us, that in spite of all of our sins, he has redeemed us, that he calls each and every one of us by name as his own forgiven sons and daughters, each of us given the gift of everything, by a king that had everything but gave it all up, becoming nothing for you and I. You are forgiven. You are loved. And you have a future with the God of everything and the new heavens and the new earth. Amen. And now, may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.